As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Macy's Memorial Day rug sale and clearance is going on now with 50 to 70% savings. Discover three, four, and five-piece rug sets, area rugs, scatters, and runners. Choose from contemporary and traditional styles. Plus, find incredible last-act rug savings of 60 to 75%. We've got your rug. Don't miss our rug sale and clearance. Save 50 to 70% at Macy's Fine Rug Galleries and at Macy's.com. Savings off regular sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply. Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Alan B. Smith, and I welcome you to join us as we traverse the cosmic highway of paranormal portals and tantalizing turnoffs. And I offer a special welcome to all of you this evening, because this is our third episode, which means we've got the show up and running live and, um, and going strong so far. So thank you for joining, thank you for supporting, and to all of our Instagram supporters and uh, Facebook people, thank you again for following um, if you're not familiar, you can follow Paranormal Now at Paranormal Now on Instagram, or you can go to Facebook, Paranormal Now Radio. Coming up tonight, my uh, main attraction would be Ken Cherry, the author of The Stephenville UFO, uh, Mark Slade Investigates. It's a great book. He was a former MUFON UFO investigator for uh, director for Texas and um, the founder of Epic Voyages um, Investigations and the radio show that you can be found by the similar name, Epic Voyages uh, Radio, on the Inception Radio Network. Um, before I get to uh, Ken Cherry, and you know, that'll be in about 20, 25 minutes or so, um, there are a couple of things that I, I wanted to do tonight and comment on. Now, this may sound strange. Slave children of NASA. Aliens running our lives, the Sandy Hook incident, Pizzagate, and what has kind of been known uh, in jest, Picklegate. And uh, for those of you who are familiar, these are referring to Alex Jones, uh, with the exception of the uh, aliens controlling us. He typically stays away from the alien topic. Uh, before I get to that, my lead-in is, is something about the media, and that's really what this whole 
this whole episode is about, the beginning of this episode, because I'm, I'm doing something I've never done before. I've never gone out there and really given my opinion or commentary on things that I typically leave for the guests. And this won't be a common thing. It's not going to be a, an, you know, an everyday feature of the show. Um, but, you know, there, there's some things that really have gotten out of control and really upset me about not only the online trolling, but the media trolling us, trolling you. You know, the hyperbole and, and trying to get your attention and try to stoke your fear. And everyone does this. From the main media channels to channels like Alex Jones you'll find on, uh, on YouTube. I mean, the guy's got millions and millions of followers. Um, but I, I, I want to focus first on the issue of George Norrie and Art Bell. Um, we lost Art Bell a few weeks ago, and it was a really sad time uh, for all of us who grew up um, loving the paranormal, hearing his voice on Coast to Coast AM, and then eventually George Norrie took over. And, and a lot of you guys are familiar with they had something of a feud, if you if you will. Um, now, I'm an objective observer, just like you are, but you know I, I've also spent time in theater. Um, a little bit behind the, in front of the camera, behind the camera, um, and spent some time doing radio now. And, and I do understand that sometimes things are said, even by Art Bell, to get your attention and to get you to follow that show, whatever it be. Maybe it's Dreamland, maybe it's Coast to Coast, or Midnight in the Desert. So often you would hear Art Bell refer to that other show on his platform, referring to Coast to Coast AM. And, you know, sort of stoking an anti-Coast to Coast, you know, like we're the, we're the cool guys, we're the good guys, listen to our show, we're the real deal. And uh, to some, some extent that's true for some of us who listen to that program, but then there are other aspects of the other program that we like, Right. So I always saw Art Bell as something of an entertainer. Um, he brought us really fascinating and interesting information, but he always wanted to make it enjoyable. So did, do I know whether Art Bell really hated George Norrie or not? I have no idea. But I'm going to play something for you. This was George Norrie's reaction when he found out um, on the air or moments before he went on the air to Coast to Coast AM that Art Bell had passed away. And I'm playing this because I'm coming from a former actor's point of view that this sounds as sincere as it can get. And then I'll, I'll comment a little bit on that after we, uh, we hear this piece. Charles, I'm at this point where I think I have enough information now to, uh, to go with this story. So stand by, folks. Here we go. We're getting reports, uh, and we have been over the last 30-some minutes, that uh, Art Bell has died. Uh, I'm trying to get my composure here, folks. Uh, he was 72 years old. 
uh, our senior producer, Tom Danheiser, and executive producer, Lisa Lyon, and Jimmy Church have been working this story all night. Uh, I'm going to go to Tom in the L.A. studio. George, I'm right here. Um, it's a very sad night. Uh, I just got off the phone with George Knapp, and a press release was sent to all the media. It simply read, Community announcement, longtime resident and radio show host Art Bell died today at 72 years old in his home in Pahrump, Nevada. It's truly a sad night. <sighs> We've got such fond memories, and it's just something that's unbelievable, really. You know, Art and I were not that close. Uh, we had our differences. Uh, but he was uh, one of those instrumental in me being where I am right now. But I know, even with your differences, that you guys always kept the audience in mind, and you still do. And so that was a common thread that you guys had together. God, he just had his second little baby. Yeah. And Gosh. So that is George Norrie's reaction. And you know what? To me, that sounds absolutely authentic and sincere, and he's not doing it for the show. And there are a lot of people out there who will charge that. And I, I really, what I'm, I'm really sick of is this, this constant attack on people's characters um, that you don't know. Look, he admitted that they had a differences, right? Um, and, you know, they, there was a sort of war between Art Bell and Coast to Coast AM, but granted, the guy... You know, wanted people to listen to his program, which was no longer Coast to Coast AM. That may have been his baby. Things changed. And yes, there are things about George Norrie that people make fun of and things about um, Art Bell that people don't like. Just because you don't like George Norrie's style, um, why do you have to go online and hate on him, right? Why do you have to post hateful things? And it just seems like such a, a petty thing to, to bring up, right? Like, Alan, who cares that people are just – that are making these trolling comments? But I think, I think it matters because it's that kind of fervent um, ex excitability that people tap into. You know, so as soon as we can find something to judge on somebody, uh, judge about somebody, someone, then it's easier to bring – Every day we rise – challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers them down to attack them and then you can little by little bring those people who are already sort of leaning towards your direction closer and closer and when you fuel emotion and you fuel uh, hatred if you will um, or sincere cynicism or deep cynicism then, um, then you're, you're, you know, you're playing that game and you're trying to get numbers you're trying to get people to listen to what you have to say and listen to your show I think we should just move on you know, accept that George was different than Art and be feel blessed and grateful that we had Art for the time that we did. I mean, he, he changed the landscape of talk radio and the paranormal ufology, cryptozoology awareness. 
Um, another thing I wanted to bring up was I also saw some comments about uh, George uh, Tukolo, uh from Ancient Aliens. And uh, some of the criticisms were that he was not an expert. Um, that he didn't have the um, the backing to be a ufology expert. Well, I, I just I understand that you know someone should have a background if they're going to investigate um, a UFO sighting, a uh, an eyewitness event. You need to have some sort of training to do that. But in this field, there there is no university for ufology. Not really. I know MUFON has has a program, but it's essentially a program to learn to investigate um, events under the guise of MUFON. But you can't go and get a BA in ufology or a master's in ufology um, and go out there. Now, if you put someone on a show and you just say they're an expert, that doesn't make them actually an expert. So in this case, I I agree with that. Um, And a lot of us who are doing talk shows like this will go on and and you know, pretend pretend to be experts um, when we're not. And then there are those who did not get training but did the work. They went out there and they researched. They they wrote about it. They blogged about it. They um, published a book. You know, they collected findings, collected data in the best way that they knew how, and garnered experiences and information from eyewitnesses. You know. And, and for example, I will say um, someone like Heidi Hollis, she is considered an expert on shadow people. That's because she did the work. She went out there and she did the work and brought it, the awareness, and you know, collected a series of, of experiences and stories and then did the best she, can, she could at the time and continues to do so. And she grows in her research to come up with a theory, with an idea. And that's okay, you know. So just because some someone doesn't have a background training in something paranormal, that doesn't mean that they don't deserve the right to be on a television show or a radio station or write a book. I mean, you could go out there and do it, right? I mean, how many people start businesses without any training in business? I think that's cool. It's it's awesome. Go out there and do it. If you're interested in something, go out there and do the footwork. So what do you call someone, you know, that that is on a show like Ancient Aliens but doesn't have a training? You you could say specialist, maybe in that field, expert, I, I don't know. But I feel like, you know, attacking someone uh, just because they don't have a, a training background in that particular venue is is really unfair. Um, it's the the quality of their work that matters. So if you don't like something that a so-called expert says, or if you find flaws in their theories, then have that argument. But character assassination that's not going to help us. That's not going to help this whole field moving forward. It's hard enough that the world of, in, in my case, I love ufology, probably overall things, but the entire paranormal world, it, it's, we're ostracized as it is to be investigating and talking about these things. So when we go after our own 
just to get our, on our own high horse, which is kind of I kind of feel like I'm doing that right now. So I, I want to get off this soapbox, but um, you know, I think that's unfair. So I'm going to leave that at that. The other the other thing that I think is very important, and it's been on my mind for a long time, and it's really, really, it really ticked me off, are some of the things that have come out of Alex Jones' mouth. Alex Jones from Infowars. If you're not familiar with Infowars. Um, Alex Jones, I first heard years ago uh, as a guest on Coast to Coast AM. Now, I, granted, I've not heard him on there um, as a guest for quite some time. Um, but years ago, I did hear him, and I started listening to his show. And you know, his his alternative uh, investigative news slash talk radio program. I thought for a time was was a little enlightening. You know, he he made me aware of this idea of a more global elite, um, the Bilderberg Group, and you know, people behind the scenes that have power and influence over the world. I'm not sold that there's an Illuminati, but I'm not closed off to that at all. But after a while, I felt like he was getting more and more outrageous. And in step with what I was just saying, I feel like he was attacking other people to get attention. He was sensationalizing his own already alternative and for some extreme ideas to bring in more viewers, to get you worked up. And so I'm going to um, I'm going to play a clip here for you, and, and this is in reference to... Uh, um, well, actually, you know, before I do that, I want, I want to bring something up. On one of his shows, he had a guest come on, and the guest mentioned that uh, there's child slavery on Mars run by NASA. Um, so let me just break this down really fast for you. So here, here are some of my problems with the child slavery on Mars um, it thing. One, even if you were to um, <laughs> abduct children or breed children and bring them to Mars, you would have to train those children to function in hostile environment like space and Mars. So they can't be kept naive or, or ignorant. Um, they need training. They need you know, uh, physical and scientific training. They need survival training. They have suits that they have to wear. They have gear and you know, scientific instruments that they need to use in order to navigate space and even more so once you get to Mars, right? So I just on the surface of it, this is crazy because now basically you have to have kids that are smart. And to have kids that are smart, they'll eventually grow up to be adult, adults that are smart. Um, and so I just find it highly <laughs> implausible that, that children would grow up on Mars, you know, walking around in a very low gravity situation where they have to have trained procedures for survival situations, unexpected storms that can happen on Mars, um, radiation from the sun, and, uh, and then they not figure out how to use communication devices? Of course they would. So why, why couldn't they figure out ways to... I, I, the fact that I'm even talking about this just kind of drives me insane <laughs> because I just think it's, uh, it's a little crazy. But um, okay, so that's what got me started with the Alex Jones thing. 
so I, I was paying attention to some more of his outlandish ideas. And the one that really ticked me off the most was, um, was Sandy Hook. So I'm going to play a clip for you um, from Alex Jones' own mouth, what he had to say about Sandy Hook shooting um, in Newtown, uh, Connecticut, uh, December 14, 2012. Charles, I'm at this point where I think I have enough. Okay, we lost the, the audio on that. Sorry about that. All right, well, so let me let me break this down uh, for you. Basically, Alex Jones made the accusation that during the Sandy Hook shooting, there were behaviors that were odd, like drills. So the children were running in circles in and out of the building, as if they they were doing drills. Um, that was one of his you know points of evidence. Um, also, he said that you know they weren't flying in uh, choppers. And this is another point of a fact that he's trying to lay down as evidence, um, and the amount of time it took for this event to play out. I personally, I just don't understand why you would need to do that, even if your motivation is to defend the Second Amendment and to say that the global elitists are staging a hoaxed murdering, a slaughtering of children and their family to get us scared so that we, are, we willingly turn over our Second Amendment rights to carry weapons. The fact that millions of people listen listen to this I, I, and, and believe it is what upsets me the most. So let me play a clip here for you now of um, Alex Jones. Uh, and we have been over the last... Oh, or not. I just got to... Okay, I'm so sorry. We're having to take a... Te- te- uh, but he was... Uh, here we go. The, then you learn that it was the same Amarillo Lockheed connection underwear bomber. Then those are big red flags that they were patsy provocateurs. The classic MO has been followed. And then, yeah, it kind of becomes a red herring, you know, to say the whole thing was staged because they have staged events before. But then you learn the school had been closed and reopened, and you got video of the kids going in circles in and out of the building, and they don't call the rescue choppers for two hours, and then they tear the building down and seal it, and they, they get caught using blue screens, and uh, a, a email by Bloomberg comes out in a lawsuit where he's telling his people, get ready in the next 24 hours to capitalize on a shooting. Uh, yeah, so Sandy Hook is a synthetic, completely fake, with actors, in my view, manufactured. I couldn't believe it at first. I knew they had actors there, clearly, but I thought they killed some real kids. And it just shows how bold they are that they clearly used actors. I mean, they even ended up using photos of kids killed in mass shootings here in a fake mass shooting in Turkey. So, yeah, or, or, or Pakistan. The sky is now the limit. I appreciate Okay, so again, I have seen the people on on the news, and so have you, and your common sense and your heart and your gut tells you these are not 
actors. And this is disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. And what upsets me about this so much with Alex Jones and, and the things that he says is that he is considered alternative media. And so are we. And people tend to sort of clump us together. It gives alternative media a bad name. So, okay, uh, Sandy Hook, as, as horrifyingly insulting as that is to people who are alive, I mean, just think about the logistics of the number of actors that you would have to hire. And then their fake children would have to, that people knew for, for years and years and years, would somehow have to disappear somewhere. And where did they go? And then all the, the friends of the actors, who were never actors in their entire life, would have to be hired actors in order to corroborate their lifetime story as not ever being actors. It's, it's just patently absurd. And so then we move on to uh, Pizzagate. Pizzagate had a very real effect, a real-time effect, on the, the dan- to show the dangers of working people up into a frenzy. So you had a gunman actually go into a pizza shop and shoot because they thought at this, this pizza joint that Alex Jones was, and I'm not going to say the name of the place, that Alex Jones was hyping on for a long time, harping on for a long time, saying that there was child slavery happening underground or somewhere behind the doors of this pizza shop, and it had some connection to the Hillary campaign or, or Hillary Clinton. And because of the hyperbole, he actually worked somebody up enough to believe this, him and other people, of course, spreading this word on, online, to go in and shoot with a gun and demand to see that the, the child slaves, like again, with the child slaves, what is this? The constant references to child slaves, and I hadn't mentioned it before, but Satanists, that, that apparently were all under the order of Satanists. Uh, that I'll kind of leave you know, aside for, for other discussions, but it's dangerous. It's dangerous what he, what he does sometimes. And it's, it's, as a society, we have to call these people out. Because, and as, as a media, people in the media, and I wouldn't put myself in that category in the media per se. I'm, you know, a humble talk show person who does paranormal, and I love that. But there has to be a, a, a calling out because we are undermining our own society when we're letting people like this trickle these theories little by little. Um, and slowly and slowly into the subconscious, the conscious and subconscious, and the people start to buy into it. I did go back from memory. Then saying, but then some of it looks like it's real. But then what do you do when they've got the kids going in circles in and out of the building with their hands up? I've watched the footage, and it looks like a drill. When you say parents faked their children's death, People get very angry. Yeah, well, let's, oh, I know, but they don't get angry about the half million dead Iraqis from the sanctions, or they don't get angry about all the That's illegals. That's a dodge. No, no, it was not a dodge. Okay, and that was um, a piece from his interview with Megyn Kelly. Um, and she's right. She's right. That's a dodge. I mean, he knows that his, his I don't even know if Alex Jones believes in this stuff. I really don't. But he knows that his, his theory is patently absurd on the surface of it. And so when he's under the the hot lights of a mainstream media outlet. He is wiggling. He's not standing firm. His words are not solid, and he's not standing firm on his ground. He's, he's bending a little bit so that he sounds a little less ridiculous on mainstream media.
Um, which is funny because I, when I was watching this interview, I thought, wow, he's kind of betraying um, his followers by doing so, uh, by not being as blatant as he would be on his own show. You want us to cover Pizzagate? We have covered it. We are covering it. And all I know is God help us. We're in the hands of pure evil. I love how the fake news is saying we're fake news, and they're specifically crapping themselves over Pizzagate, and their answer is to say it's all fake. No, WikiLeaks released this. This is in Leaked all the Pizzagate stuff. As a checkmate, instead of them using this against our government, they've recruited pedophiles in the government. You know, have my reporters covering Pizzagate, and, I, and I've mentioned it some. Pizzagate, as it's called, is a rabbit hole that is horrifying to go down. Now, if you're a radio listener, this is a powerful video, but I've, I've had it reposted. This is on Infowars.com. Pizzagate is real. The only question is, what exactly is it? Let's go ahead and go to the report. Pizzagate is real. The question is, how real is it? What is it? Something's going on. Something's being covered up. Pizzagate is real. The only question is exactly what is it? Kids being, I can't even say it on air, folks. The, the video, we're going to tweet it out with Breitbart's statement on Infowars.com dealing with Pizzagate. You know, people will be looking to it. I may just have to take off a week and just only research this and actually go to where these places are and stuff. In fact, I'm looking at Get on a plane, I, I just just like Bohemian Grove and stuff, I can't just say something and not see it for myself. They go to these pizza places. There's like satanic art everywhere. There's there's art of, of these people where they're shoving children into women's vaginas. That's why I can't cover Pizzagate that much. All right, so I just want to give credit where credit to do. That compilation of Pizzagate was edited by Media Matter for America on YouTube. Um, so again, this is a perfect example where he keeps repeating and repeating and repeating and repeating, and he's making broad, sweeping accusations and very salacious, uh, nasty accusations at some <laughs> some uh, pizza shop where the poor owner ends up getting uh, having having someone come in and shoot inside his business. This is this is crazy. Now, granted, uh, there was a lawsuit against Alex Jones for that, and I don't don't know what happened. And also, as of late, there have been more um, there have been more people to uh, join in to the join in the lawsuit against Alex Jones for the Sandy Hook incident because um, a group of, of parents had gotten together and teachers and filed suit against Alex Jones for defamation and um, and other things as well uh, because it's been five years over five years now, I believe since uh, since Sandy Hook. So, yes, there are repercussions to some degree for Alex Jones, but he keeps going. Um, and then when his, you know, when his back's against the wall, he'll apologize. Um, but you know that somewhere down the line there's going to be something else that he's going to jump onto the bandwagon and, and try to get people worked up about. Look, um, there's a lot of problem in the news media. CNN, Fox, MSNBC, all of them get, are slanted one way or the other. You know, CNN used to be headline news where you would get most of the the broad scope of news um, going on in America and a little bit of, of global news. And now they'll pick a few topics and maybe add one or two in as they go randomly throughout the day. And no matter what the program is, they'll run it over and over and over again. Um, so it's really difficult to find good information out there. I think that you know, um, NPR News, even if you do think it slants a little bit liberal, on the whole, it's way more balanced than other um, radio uh, news outlets. 
same thing with PBS NewsHour. I think it's I think it's great. It's much more objective um, than most news shows, and also they bring on you know one you know conservative, one liberal, and they and they talk things out. They discuss. They don't yell. It's not about entertainment. It's about information. Um, and so the thing with Alex Jones is that he's he's about entertainment. He's about tapping into your emotions and triggering in a reaction. And so I'm adding this in partly for humor and partly just to elucidate this, the point that I'm making. Um, this is what's been termed Picklegate. Um, Hillary Clinton went on the Jimmy Kimmel show in the, during the campaign after she had been sick a little bit and um, staged a joke, you know, to make fun of the fact that she's sick and then, oh, now I'm healthy. So Jimmy Kimmel gave her a pickle jar and she struggled to open it and opened it on live television just to prove, oh, I'm healthy. It was a gag. It was a gag. But this is um, Alex Jones. Here it is. (laughs) That's not how you open a can of pickles. And he goes on and on and on about saying how you can't, when you open a, a jar of pickles, it has to pop. And he repeated this over and over and over again, trying to prove that, that Hillary was faking being healthy. Well, she was. That was the point. Everybody, everybody in the audience, everybody watching that show knew it was a joke. But Alex Jones took something that was blatantly fake on purpose for humor and tried to spin it into something that is uh, you know, to drive hate towards Hillary Clinton. Um, so I'm not, you know, I'm not here to get involved with political sides at all, but I'm, I'm just saying that I, I'm really just fed up with, with Alex Jones's, you know, accusation, his behaviors, and other news outlets that work in tandem with him to spread this sort of venom that's only participating in keeping us divided. You know, I have friends and family that are on opposite sides of the political spectrum, and we, we get along, and that's okay. You know, but if, if we all start hating each other and all start thinking that, that every conspiracy theory is true, we'll get ourselves worked up in paranoia and anger and fear, and that's not going to help us. Okay, so I'm getting off my soapbox, and I, uh, I promise you I won't do this all the time. Uh, my next guest coming up is Ken Cherry. Um, he is the author of the Mark Slade Investigates the Stephenville UFO novel. He is the former MUFON director uh, for Texas, and he was on the scene in 2008 when the Stephenville UFO um, made its appearance on the scene, and this was a, a huge sighting. Um, my personal opinion is that this was the, the probably the best documented and the largest scale UFO sighting or approach uh, that, that we've had to date, at least in the United States, to my, to my knowledge. Um, so, Ken, welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. Thanks. Yeah, so um, you tolerated my, uh, my bantering for a little while. <laughs> I had <laughs> well, you on the line I, there for I a didn't, bit. <laughs> I didn't catch it all, but one of our investigators, um, and I really shouldn't mention his name, Anyway, his granddaughter um, was there at the Parkland uh, school during the massacre. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I know that they came in and offered her and all of her friends there 
uh, counseling. At, uh, it's just a devastating effect on, you know, her parents or grandparents and uh, the community at large. And so, you know, I I really didn't catch the gist of what uh, Alex Jones was trying to uh, get across, but uh, uh, certainly this was a very real event for everybody that was there and was a victim of this uh, insanity. So um, I think these are the type of events that are easy for uh, these sort of provocateurs to come along and... Uh, you know, make uh, try to make a buck off of them. Unfortunately, um, um, so um, I think there was a, um, a saying around one of the previous White Houses: "Don't let uh, any tragedy go away. <laughs> you know, sh- should not be wasted." So, you know, mm-hmm. there's an opportunity there to make some sort of political hay. So it it, it just depends mm-hmm. on what you're uh, peddling, I suppose. But yeah, anyway. I think what, the worst part. Yeah, the worst part for me is the is the inhumanity of it, um, you know, and that you're you're basically you know shepherding people to believe in things that that are really hurtful towards other people, and I think that that's what really gets me upset the most. Um, and because Alex Jones, for 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 one example, you know, I just kind of picked picked on him tonight, but. Um, he has millions of followers, so he has a very real influence um, on Americans. Well, he has he has a lot of listeners, that's for sure. Um, and of course, the 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 man with the uh, gun showing up at the pizza parlor does show that he does uh, have some influence uh, among uh, the fringe loonies. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, I think uh, I, I got to give most people credit and believe that they look at the man as a, primarily an entertainer. And now that's not to say that there aren't conspiracies that uh, exist. And uh, of course, my field of uh, ufology is just uh, uh, rampant with uh, you know uh, conspiracy theories. Uh, but some of them are pretty well founded. Uh, I mean, it can be documented as to, you know, the origins uh, from uh, uh, government uh, programs that were designed to um, misinform and um, uh, cover up uh, activities relating to, you know, sensitive what they consider to be sensitive information about mm-hmm. UFOs and some of the things they've done. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's that's a, an interesting thing to the, to uh, to talk about because in the world that we explore, as far as alternative in the way of paranormal ufology, etc., we do um, you know like yourself, you get sources of information, and um, you can't give away those sources, right? So you you have to say. My source told me this, um, but what I, I notice with um, with with some people is that, you know, every other word is, oh, my source, someone told me this. I heard this from so and so. I heard that, and I and I I begin to start doubting them, um, because I, you know it's like when you speak too much, I, I feel like you're on the uh, you're trying to deflect from um, any real critique, um, whereas. Like your, yourself, you know, I know that you've had 
your sources for during the period of uh, the Stephenville and I'm guessing probably after, um, which informed your understanding of the UFO phenomena. And I, I take your word on that because, you know, you are sober in your approach. Um, it's not, you know, you're not out there trying to, you know, stoke the fires and, and um, you know, just to make millions. I mean, you, you really care about this stuff. And um, it, it's meaningful to you, and I, it always comes across that way to me. Well, let me be clear about one thing. There is no money in this pursuit. <laughs> <laughs> if, if anything, it has cost me a great deal of money. Uh, during the um, Stephenville um, active investigation uh, with MUFON, uh, there was a one-year period where my uh, personal income from a, from a business that I own uh, dropped from a healthy six figures down to <laughs> barely enough to pay my property taxes. So, I mean, it was all-consuming. And, I mean, between the phone ringing day and night and... Um, uh, you know, interviews and that sort of thing, and coordinating uh, the specialists that we had working on the um, the case and the investigators. We had um, two dozen or so people over a period of a year involved in that investigation, ranging from you know scientists to uh, um, that. Uh, that did research on some of the photographs that we had uh, uh, from witnesses and uh, um, various things. But at any rate, um, no, um, I I don't take anything for granted until I have more than one source um, that is unrelated. And, um, you know, I just I kind of take the information and take it down and you know, put it in the box uh, mm-hmm. for that particular piece of data. And then, um, if I get confirmation from uh, one or two other sources, then I give it uh, some credibility. And there were a, a number of instances where, from all of the massive amount of publicity that the Stephenville event gained for such a long period of time. Uh, I received phone calls from people uh, from various uh, government agencies uh, and people purporting to be from government agencies, Uh, some that I met, some, frankly, that uh, I got to know quite well, and others that I knew by name and reputation where you could Google them and find that they had a long history of of uh, government work and, you know, we're legitimate scientists, for instance. So one by one, I would hear similar stories from different sources, and it began to paint a very clear picture of, you know, what had taken place and what really is at stake and this, this is the UFO the incident, the Stephenville UFO incident. The, not only the UFO incident in Stephenville, but really the meaning behind it and, um, you know, the history of uh, this cover-up that has taken place in our country now for, you know, 70 years or so. So mm-hmm. uh, it was quite uh, 
sobering, uh, as a matter of fact. So, um, at any rate, uh, one thing that I do walk away with is that there must be, from the various agencies and scientists that I spoke with, thousands and thousands of people in this country that have intimate knowledge of uh, really the reverse-engineered technology that our government um, has possession of and has um, developed over the last uh, 70 or so years and uh, managed to keep it secret. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's amazing and uh, very much uh, like the, the secrecy the surrounding the development of the first atomic bomb, of course. So, um, uh, there's um, there's a many implications to um, well, that sighting, well, but yeah. go ahead. Yeah, uh, what what would they be hiding? Um, you know, what what kind of technology do you think they actually have? Well, let me uh, tell you. Uh, I'll try to be brief, a story from one very, very trusted source. Um, This gentleman is one of the characters in my book. His name is Drake. Uh, Very real. Uh, As a young man, he joined the OSS, and uh, uh, during World War II, uh, it worked with uh, General MacArthur. And during the war, they viewed a number of UFOs uh, and some of the occupants that were brought down either accidentally or on purpose during the war. Um, that's kind of how he got involved in in this whole uh, secrecy uh, and the, the UFO question. Uh, when I uh, really got to know him, uh, he was a, an older man, elderly quite actually, and retired, but he had said that at one point he was the uh, one of three men on a committee that had made the final black budget approval um, for the military. And one year the uh, the request came to them. It was so large that they they just refused to sign it. And they had this four-star general sitting there in front of them and said, "Look, you know, there's no oversight. This is such a huge amount of money that." You know, we're not going to sign it, approve of it, until we know where it's going, how it's being spent. So he said they took them, the, the three men on the committee, to this enormous hangar. And in the hangar, he said, were all sizes of flying saucers, is the way he referred to them. And the general turned to them and said, that's where the money's going. Now, this was in the early 60s. Can you imagine what we have developed uh, since then uh, in the last 50-some-odd years? And so this is the secret they don't want us to know. Uh, NASA was basically and is basically a sham. It's a make-work project. I've spoken to a number of high-level scientists from NASA who are paid through NASA, but basically their job is working on secret projects, back engineering and uh, working on uh, different types of 
donated or uh, retrieved technology. So what we have really in our arsenal is hundreds of years in advance of what the public is aware of. And they there are other aspects of this that they don't want the public to know because they're concerned about the fear and the panic uh, that it would create. Uh, just the uncertainty, the stock markets might crash, the economy could become frozen, uh, people of religious faith might react, um, you know, and just, you know, would not be able to handle it. There would be concerns on uh, just about every aspect of society. So they're, they're, they have a tremendous stake, on the one hand, in withholding the secret from the public. On the other, the there are very, very powerful people, and, you know, you, this is part of the conspiracy, who are holding back this knowledge and so that only a, a very elect few get the benefit of this technology and everything that mm-hmm. it means. I mean, uh, yeah, so, yeah. I always wondered, um, you know, you know how people say that there's this um, longevity technology or cure to cancer, um, these sort of things. And I, I, I always wonder. I see these people who are part of the global elites. And I see them getting older, you know, and I see that they, they have stints in the hospital and, and things like that. So I, I've always wondered about this whole idea that the cure to cancer, the cure to, to some viruses or old age is, is locked up only for these few people. Because I, f- I feel like now, especially since everyone is is on camera, you know, is on Instagram or, or seen um and because of alternative news outlets, people are following them um, and keeping tabs on them. Um, you know, we see them getting older. So, if it's true that we have these technologies, why why don't we see them playing out? Or do, do you know? Do you have an opinion on that? Or well, I I, I think that the um, the elite uh, are very elite, and these are the type of people who do not. Uh, you know, show up on panel discussions or at dinners mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Um, so you, you think know, they're really the, behind the scenes? Well, how many times have you seen a Rothschild on TV? Mm. You know, or, uh, you know, so there are people who are at the very top of the pyramid that uh, have the benefit of these uh, technologies. But let me ask you this. Now, Mm-hmm. You know, we used to have uh, the royalty in Europe uh, five, six hundred years ago. They were the only ones who could uh, that had the financial uh, wherewithal to build ships. And what did they do with those ships? So they went, and they explored, mm-hmm. uh, and they and they found other cultures that they could either conquer or you know trade with and uh you know Spain, England, Portugal, the Netherlands, all these countries in France, you know, and so forth 
all became incredibly wealthy uh, from the uh, benefit of all this trade. So, I mean, it is man's nature to explore and, um, you know, <laughs> uh, covet either try covet and hoard with. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to take to one way or another, get what other people have that they want. Mm-hmm. So I don't really think that mankind has changed that much in hundreds of years. So people who have this access to this technology aren't even necessarily here to be interviewed on television. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. know that sounds kooky, but if you have a craft, uh, as Ben Rich, uh, who was the head of the Skunk Works with uh, uh, Lockheed, who uh, Skunk Works was responsible for m- many of the uh, black budget programs. And anyway, he mm-hmm. gave a He's speech yeah. before his uh, death and said that, we have the technology to take E.T. home. Mm-hmm. Now, I recall that. Since, and I know someone who personally asked him if he seriously meant that, and he said, yes, he did. And so if here's a, one of the few men on the face of the earth who would know that for certain, and if he said it, I believe it. And I know that we're not just running an Uber service for E.T., so... <laughs> Uh, what do you think we've been doing with those things for the last uh, yeah. many decades? I mean, just flying around to uh, get everybody excited about UFOs? No. Well, partly, then that's part of the conditioning program to get people used to the idea before, you know, eventually it has to be disclosed. But in the meanwhile, uh, they're out there just imagine, just let your imagination run wild and it's probably happened yeah. where we've met uh extraterrestrials and viewed other worlds and other technologies and that sort of thing. So who mm-hmm. who says the elite have to be here, you know, they can Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe they hit hit a certain age and then off they go. Um yeah, but I, but I, get yeah, their, or or it could just be like read. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're actually not too far from that. It, it seems to me, maybe another, you know, thirty years or so, we'll be able to start really rejuvenating our own DNA, um, especially with, um, you know, the, the DNA gene splicing that we're able to do now with CRISPR and other technologies. Um, but I do wonder, maybe we just got the the propulsion technology, the spacefaring technology. You know, it's like um, if somebody were to crash. A cruise liner into the beaches of um, you know some some deserted island where there are a few people that live there that don't know much about the technology. Um, mm-hmm. Even if they could back, even if they could back engineer the cruise ship, that wouldn't guarantee that they have um, they understand what the medicines are on board. You know, would would they be able to back engineer you know like an antiviral vaccine or something like this? You know, so yeah. I do wonder if, if we're limited in what we gained from from those crash saucers and things like that. Well, a great deal, actually. Um, I have three sources who um, worked at uh, S4 um, in Area 51, working on back engineering programs, and every each of the three scientists. Uh, 
said that they worked alongside aliens. So um, apparently, you know, some of the technology we've gained has been <clears throat> through peaceful means. And, of course, there is a, uh, a long-rumored deal, supposedly, that Eisenhower made in uh in 1953, uh, 54, uh, you know, exchange technology for, you know, allowing the aliens to abduct people. But, you know, aside from that, um, I, you know, I know two of these uh, scientists' names would be immediately recognizable, and uh, they all told me independently this. So, it's it's not that everything that we have came without an instruction booklet or <laughs> someone to help us to understand it. Now, there are many different types of uh, aliens, uh, ETs, uh, visiting our planet, and so not all of the technology is the same, and and so much of it does have to be studied and back engineered and that's one reason why you know some of it hasn't been duplicated so you you hit the nail on the head there in that respect but other in other cases though we have had help and so uh, um one of the uh, scientists uh gave me uh, a um uh, manuscript uh, of a uh, a polygraph that he took, and um, yeah, and I remember a number of things that uh, I recollect uh, stuck out was, of course, that he had been threatened. Um, his life had been threatened if he w- went public with things because he he was one of uh, one of the sources that would wanted to go public, but it, and at any rate. Um, he was threatened, and he did name a couple of other scientists who had been killed under suspicious circumstances that they thought were a security risk. Mm-hmm. And um, um, he worked on anti-gravity programs. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, um, one thing he had done is that he had inspected uh, uh, seven different craft over his um, uh, career, and he had told me that he had just come back from Japan where a UFO had been had, uh, crashed um, n- near there, Sea of Japan someplace, and so that was the closest facility to bring it in, and he was, he was flown over as one of the scientific team to look at this thing, but he was saying... Mm-hmm. But one thing that they discovered on this on board this craft was a liquid wall <laughs> that they a liquid wall they had a liquid wall that ha- they huh. had not figured out yet so mm-hmm. um you know some some of the technology uh, can be a complete surprise to us and upend some of our understanding of uh you know the nature of our um, you know existence. So Reality, anyway, yeah. liquid it, it, a liquid liquid wall, right? Liquid wall. Yeah, I well, that was... that's a good that's a good um, segue into to what I was thinking earlier, and I, I really didn't mention it as much um, because you know some of these things that we we talk about on this program and other programs like it. I mean, and you and I in, in our private conversations talk about 
all kinds of other things as well that sound outlandish. Um, but the fact is that you and I sitting here having a, a conversation about it, you know, it's a safe thing to do. You know, I, I don't feel like you and I, um, you know, are, are causing any havoc or negative effects in the world because of it. You know, so I'm much well, more comfortable Ellen, doing that. What yeah, a, yeah. Let, me, let me interrupt you there because mm-hmm. while you may have that feeling of security and safety, I, I mm-hmm. got to tell you that I have been amazed at how much um, scrutiny and intimidation I've been subjected to uh, for not only for the content of my book, apparently, which is pretty thinly uh, veiled uh, as a novel, uh, but for some of the things I've said in the interviews, because mm-hmm. my phone has been tapped, and that's been my phone, my television, and my computer have all been bugged, uh, as confirmed by my uh, cable provider uh, charter. Oh yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I remember that. Remember that incident. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, they've made uh, uh, harassing calls to people in the middle of the night all over the country, displaying my phone number. And then when mm-hmm. people, you know, were awakened two or three times in the morning, then they see my number and they call and chew me out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had 911 calls placed in with my number to the police department. I had my uh, car uh, GPS bugged. Um, so, and I was <laughs> going to forget, I had a, a, a dark SUV tried to run me off the road one night. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I mean, there have been, uh, and I'm just one person uh, who obviously is uh, uh, for disclosure. And I, I guess even though I've tried to make my comments rather mm-hmm. couched, apparently it's it's ticked off uh <laughs> The wrong people. I, I've come oh, under yeah. the scrutiny of the wrong people. So, no, um, yeah, I, so I, I've borne witness to that. I understand that. Yeah. Um, I, and from your, from you as an investigator, I think that you have to deal with that much more than someone like myself, who, who just you know, sort of offers a platform and doesn't usually offer you know much commentary of my own on the subject. Um, and but what I, what I was actually thinking more about was the effect that we have on you know society. You know, other than, you know, moving people towards disclosure, you know, I don't I don't see any, you know, real world negative side effects that can hurt other people, not us, you know, but other people by by the by having the discussions that we have, unless unless I'm missing something and and you're more aware of that than I am. No, no, my um, from what I'm told. Uh, by some trusted sources, is that disclosure will come, whether the powers that be want it or not. Um, and uh, part of what uh, the the purpose of the uh, mass sighting uh, in Stephenville was to um, gauge the reaction of the public. Uh, in other words, um, to 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 prepare uh, people for disclosure so that the more of these mass sightings there are, uh, the more people get comfortable with the idea that, you know, there is this exotic technology running around in (laughs) our atmosphere that 
our military can't do anything about, or at mm. least the military um, assets that we know about. So um, part of a plan leading toward disclosure, uh, but uh, at any rate, uh, I I think that what we're doing is just helping to inform people and letting them know, hey, um, you know, you might want to get comfortable with the idea. But I'll tell you something. There has been an effort to uh, educate the public and to prepare them for disclosure ever since uh, ever since the uh, Robertson panel um, in 1952. Uh, that was one of their uh, um, recommendations of the panel. Uh, that panel was formed as a result of the mass UFO sighting um, oh, yeah. Yeah. that took place over Washington, D.C. in July of 1952. And um, they even mention in their uh, report that, you know, certain uh, production companies, the Walt Disney Company, should be used, you know. And so uh, over the years with the Star Treks and all the various uh, – um, sci-fi programs that have been so popular on TV, I, I found that most people are very accepting of the idea that, you know, there is other intelligent life in the universe. Matter of fact, most people would, I think the, the anyone who believed that we were the only intelligent life in the universe would be in a very small minority at this point. But I think there's just so many other aspects uh, to disclosure beyond that, that those are the things that the authorities are worried about. Yeah, and the great thing about your your book that I really love is, you know, you you wrote a novel, um, it's a suspense thriller novel, but in the back you have these appendices that really support some of the ideas that that are presented through the storytelling in the back. Like you said, like the Robertson panel, um, you know, you know, mysterious murders or accidents that happen um, to, you know, political people or others who get close to the truth, as we say. Um, right. You know, and, and other things like, you know, astronauts like um, like uh, Cooper, um, uh, Mitchell, you know, they they are people who didn't go out there to make money, you know, telling a, a, a tall tale. You know, they, these are people that are coming from, you know, an exposure to experiences and to agencies being within those agencies and coming back and just telling us their, their story. So, you know, when you have, and like you said, like you're not making millions, no one's making millions off of this. Um, so when you have people that can put their reputations on the line and they come out and say these things, you, you can't not pay attention to that. No. And uh, there are any number of astronauts, cosmonauts uh, and so forth uh, involved in the, a space program that have uh, testified, you know, that they have had these alien encounters, UFO encounters, uh, and um, you know, some of the some of the encounters that they describe are quite vivid. So, I mean, if we're to believe that these guys are nuts, what are we letting them in? The, you know, why are we sit them in the space for? I mean. I can't think of a more credible witness than an astronaut. And then, of course, um, I don't. Uh, there's no denying it. I mean, uh, even the as part of the uh, disclosure uh, 
uh, effort. Uh, as you well know, the um, DOD approved the um, release of two videos uh, in the, within the last year uh, showing, you know, our pilots' encounters with UFOs, Navy pilots uh, off uh, the coast of California in one case where these UFOs were showing up on radar uh, trailing this uh, a group of ships in a naval exercise. They were there for days, and finally they sent up a couple of uh, pilots to check them out, and they came back with uh, uh, camera uh, evidence, and this had their radars locked on them and everything. Um, mm -hmm. Now, clearly, those UFOs didn't care if they were seen. They wanted to be seen. And they've demonstrated time and time again that they're technologically superior to our craft, aircraft, uh, conventional <laughs> aircraft. Right. And right. so they could they could have gotten away, and yet they they chose apparently. Uh, well, what, what is that? To them. Yeah. What is that? Why do they? Why is there a tease? You know, why why do they come just close enough so we can see them for a little bit, and then they're gonna go away? What's, well, what's the point of look, let's let we gotta we gotta assume that these are uh, highly intelligent beings, uh, and they've been visiting us. There's evidence for millennia. I mean, they found uh, perfect depictions of UFOs on cave walls, and those folks didn't have a cable uh, TV or sci-fi channel or any of that stuff. So. Uh, there's plenty of stuff in literature all from all over the world during every age about encounters with uh, you know the people from the sky and from craft that uh, that they saw that are just read like uh, present day uh, UFO sightings. So mm -hmm. they they are very patient. They've been here as long as we have apparently, and. Um, so I think um, they're taking, you know, they're they're in no hurry to make the, to, to land on the White House uh, lawn. Uh, but for one thing that I've been told is there, uh, there's hardly an inch uh, uh, of the Earth that we haven't explored yet. It's getting more difficult for them to hide their presence, and they don't really see why they should. Um, I think, let me make this one point. One of the main reasons that the, they don't want to disclose is because people would accept that they're visitors from lonely, you know, regions of space coming here. What it would be difficult for them to deal with is the notion that the advanced non-human entities live here among us. Yeah, underground bases, undersea bases, and um, you know we share the planet with them. So um, I think that's one of the things that people are concerned that the powers that be are concerned about. Yeah, I'm going to read something from your from your book, a, a couple of excerpts. Um, so earlier you had mentioned there's a character Drake in the book that was based on a real life character. Um, yes, so he's Angle in this, in this not, right. Okay. Go ahead. He's in this passage here. <clears throat> seeing that something was up, 
Slade jumped to his feet. By the time he reached the door, it was practically over. In a move that amazed Slade, Drake delivered a swift and powerful blow to the man's throat. He staggered, panicking, as he fumbled for his gun. Drake grabbed the man's tie and swung him around, swimming him violently into the room and right into the way of Slade's pummeling fists. The man, his nose now broken and bleeding, reached for his gun, but it was too late. Like a magician pulling a rabbit out of a hat, Drake pulled himself, pulled an impressive piece of weaponry out of the inside pocket and pumped two bullets into the man's chest. Drake's very own silencer ensured that no one would come running to find out what was going on. The man gurgled briefly, and his eyes rolled into his head. As the lights went out, his final thoughts were of that long-gone Saturday night in Johannesburg and his scumbag of a father. He had no regrets. The man had been right. Death would occur in this room today. Um, and then a little bit later in the book, and a little something else, barely a second or so after Slade and Edwards caught sight of the small entity against the door, there was an ominous and unforeseen development. The flashlights of both men went suddenly dark, completely out of the blue and unanticipated. The pair was now plunged into total darkness. Out of instinct, more than anything else, both men hit the ground, keeping their guns firmly fixed in the direction of the door, even though now they could barely see each other, never mind the door and the thing that was standing in front of it. So this is very, very adrenaline-rushing, exciting stuff. Um, you know, how much of your own actual real-world investigation was you know, adrenaline-pumping and exciting stuff for you? Oh, it, it, almost all of it. I mean, as I said, I had a thriving business. Uh, I owned a small regional um, stock and bond brokerage firm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I was the rainmaker for the firm. I spent so much time on this investigation because it was just so incredibly all-consuming. And I, I, I have to say, even though it cost me... <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, The people I got to meet and talk to and the things that I heard and know we could never be able to share with people uh, left me satisfied that that it was time and energy well spent. So, yeah. No, I I wouldn't, I wouldn't have given, I wouldn't give up the experience for anything. There's yeah, I mean, just early... to be that close must be exciting. Just, just to, you know, you don't yeah. need guns and fistfights to be enthralled in, in in an investigation so close to you know, tangible eyewitnesses and and um, real world information. That, I mean, you were on the receiving end of of so much during that period. Well, one of the things that really fascinated me was that. Uh, I, I mean, the <laughs> the news coverage was just absolutely incredible. Um, I never knew there were so many morning uh, news programs, <laughs> radio, talk radio shows. And I'd be up, I mean, my phone rang day and night, you know, because people were calling from all over the world. Yeah. And um, But the, the interest was just uh, seemed... Um, well, I had one top reporter tell me he said I he was amazed he he had no idea the story would have such legs. <laughs> but um 
Well, you know, I mean, the, U- the UFO was so low, people could see it with their own eyes, and it was it was gigantic. You know, we I mean, had that was the 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 the, uh, the credibility of the witnesses was just uh, unassailable. Uh, we had three police officers who were in different parts of the Stephenville uh, city proper that. Mm-hmm came back to the station and were so excited to tell someone, and they just kind of bumped over each other's words, saying, you'll never guess what I saw. And it turns out that within minutes in different different areas of, I mean, widespread area, uh, they all had this sighting, and they sat down and uh, drew a, a picture of this UFO. And... Um, uh, they all agreed on, you know, this being uh, what they saw. One officer was on a traffic stop, um, uh, you know, uh, whatever you call it. Uh, he was sitting there with his uh, uh, radar gun, uh, you know, checking the traffic as it's come along the highway, which was a uh, Kind of a lonely highway, so there weren't wasn't much traffic, but um, you know it was notorious for speeders. So anyway, mm-hmm. he said at one point everything just went completely quiet. He couldn't understand what happened. You know, it was no crickets, nothing. I mean, you know, birds, no everything. Yeah. Just like he had gone deaf or something. He said, I looked around and I, I didn't see, and then I looked up, and he said there was this enormous craft just hovering over me. <laughs> he said, "I you mean, know, your heart I didn't has know what to, to do." That's... Yeah, and he said, uh, just sort of instinctively, I pointed my radar gun at the thing. <laughs> he said, "I didn't know what to do," and um, the uh, then it m- moved as the gun registered something like fourteen. 15 miles an hour and then then the next instant boom it shot off it was just a speck in the sky mm-hmm. um so absolutely incredible speed and uh, um no no sound uh yeah. a number of witnesses uh you know had military backgrounds um, but uh, politicians, uh, we had uh, constable, we had m- many law enforcement officers mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, they're out and they're observant, uh, they're trained observers, and their testimony is accepted in in right. court. And uh, so, um, uh, yeah, but there were just uh, hundreds of, of witnesses. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of the arguments are that especially in those uh you know years gone by that maybe these were were drones and people just were not aware of drones yet um but size matters you know you you can't have a a football length drone and not hear no, it no you know? no 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 one one of the uh initial reports was from a, a private pilot and mm-hmm. along with the, he was outdoors with uh, two of his friends one of them uh, they were a married couple. One of them, the lady had been uh, an American Airlines um, uh, flight attendant for many years, 15, 20 years, I forget exactly how long. But anyway, she had um, 
a lot of experience uh, flying and seeing different types of aircraft. She'd flown on many different types of aircraft and so forth. But um, they all said that this was, you know, something that was much, much larger than uh, aircraft carrier. I think I remember saying that it was a, a quarter of a mile wide and, a, you know, a mile long in appearance. And so there, all of the witnesses were consistent in saying this was huge. I mean, they used things like bigger than a super Walmart, uh, mm-hmm. bigger than uh, aircraft carriers, and, you know, biggest. Yep. They, In one sense, they said well, it, it's hard to imagine how something that large can just loom <laughs> in the sky. That's yeah. going to be disconcerting all- alone. Yeah, it's, it's like, also funny that you know, someone big, would think of a, a Walmart to compare it to, of if anything. Well, when, <laughs> when I was uh, interviewed on Dateline uh, for NBC, the NBC's Dateline, uh, they uh, were discussing that what they've ranked as the top ten UFO uh, uh, stories, and you know, so when they were interviewing me about Stephenville, I mentioned that one of the uh, witnesses had said that it was bigger than the Super Walmart, so you just know that they followed up with a graphic of this Walmart with these uh, <laughs> rocket thrusters yeah. shooting off into space. Yeah. You know, it's a, they had to make That's... it a comical thing. So, yeah, but yeah. I tell you, to the witnesses, when you saw their faces, Mm-hmm. And held their hand, and you know, got them to sit and write down what they saw, thought, and heard, and write and draw a picture of it. Uh, the other, well, one thing, this is a for people who don't know, uh, Stephenville is right in the heart of Texas, and it's in a. It's a it's a rural uh, town with you know fewer at the time fewer than twenty thousand people. The uh, mm-hmm. main industry is dairy, and you you know all these small family dairies uh, uh, can't you can't make a living off of eight, ten, twelve cows or whatever. So most mm-hmm. of them have day jobs. You know they go do their chores very very early, then they work and they come home and they do their chores at night. So these are people who are the you know, salt of the earth, hardworking folks, and for the most part, our uh, uh, witnesses were gray-haired people. I mean, mm-hmm. let's face it: a lot of young people leave the country life because it's hard, yeah. and they want to go to the big city. So it's. It was, I, I can imagine uh, they're we, reticent too. No, as a matter of fact, they were all very forthcoming, and I think huh. one of the positives of all of the. Uh, uh, media attention was that there were so many people and with the number of people who were willing to talk it made others uh, less reluctant to talk so we we had a meeting uh, to because we had so many uh, uh, witnesses we couldn't go typically we would go and visit with them individually but we just couldn't uh, in a timely fashion so I had eight investigators with me at the time of the first meeting, and we had a meeting hall that had never had more than 200 people in it. They said uh, that 
that was filled wall to wall with people and reporters. They said they had over 500 people and they couldn't admit anybody else. So uh, there was a tremendous amount of uh, local interest. And all of our witnesses pretty much told the same story. Uh, slight variations. Some, you know, uh, some people had dogs with them that were affected. Apparently, uh, right off the bat, it made them very uh, submissive. Sound, you know, mm-hmm. even if they had been very big, aggressive dogs, <laughs> one of them crawled under a pickup truck and so forth. So, yeah, um, yeah. So you you cannot not believe uh, these people and. Uh, you know, when you have one witness or two witness or a group of three or four people together telling you something, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. And, of course, as the number of witnesses who tell a consistent story grows, the more, right. and the more uh, credibility it has. But when you have people from three-county area, and, I mean, three counties in Texas could be as big as a lot of states, um, telling you the same story, then... You know that that is testimony. You know that is court worthy. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. yep. Uh, so they have you know nothing to gain by it. But at any rate, um, yeah, well, it was a fascinating investigation. But one last point: so much media attention that my name was out there daily. Boom, 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 boom. Uh, early morning, midday, you know, newspapers and then evening interviews and TV and so forth, which, uh, although it was a, a drain on me, the thing, the benefit was that people knew who to contact. And uh, I got many calls from folks saying, are you Ken Jerry, the guy, you know, he's investigated? Yes. Mm-hmm. Just a moment. Let me close my door. And they would be with some agency or whatnot with, you know, mm-hmm. a very informed person. And so it brought sources to me that all said, look, you know, my job, my career, my safety, my family's safety could be in jeopardy, but here's something you need to know. Yeah. And um, as I got the first few calls, I kind of discounted it, but as I began to get more and more people from different walks of life telling me the same thing, you know, then, of course, that's when it begins to take on uh, mm-hmm. substance. Anyway. I do I do have to wonder, though, it's, what, 2018, so about 10 years since Stephenville, and I, I think that that was the last really big ship sighting. Um, and I I wonder if we're not going to see that at least for a while because, you know, whoever is navigating those ships know that we all are armed with cameras with, with, with zoom lenses on them now. Whereas, you know, 2008, we didn't have the smartphones like we do. Um, so, you know, prolific. Uh, so I, I do wonder, are we not, do you think that we may not see another big, um, event again until the time oh, comes. I d- yeah. yeah, I certainly think we will, and I think that there are a number of uh, revelations to come, and I'll I'll tell you one. Uh, that's let's put this down as a conspiracy theory. 
mm-hmm. um, from source, I believe, but I don't have independent confirmation, is that uh, President uh, Trump has gained knowledge of these programs, whereas not uh, previous uh, presidents have not been able to. And he is aware that we have a secret space program and have had for many years. And that um, obviously he was not the choice of the powers that be. And so they've been waging war against him. And uh, one of the things he's done is threaten them with disclosure. And people don't uh, give him credit for being as intelligent as he is, but mostly he knows what he's saying, and something that I think that was made light of, that he was a purposeful act to to threaten the powers that be when he said that we need a space force. That was a veiled threat to reveal our secret space program. Interesting. And he didn't. He didn't say it once. Mm-hmm. He said it multiple times. Right. And right. I used to have a professor that said, if you want people to remember something, mm-hmm. tell them you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them you told them. So. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so it works. <laughs> three times. You know, when somebody says something, you know, <laughs> more than once. That it means something. So, mm. uh, and particularly to say it a second, third, you know, third time or more, then you better be going. Uh, okay, I better look into this. So, mm-hmm. at any rate, I'll just leave you with that. Um, yeah, no, that, that's perfect. We're actually coming right up to the to the end here. Um, so, yeah, it's been a great conversation. Ken, I love having you on here, and obviously, I love our, our regular conversations as well. Um, so if you want to find out more about uh, Ken Cherry and his uh, novel, novelization of the Stephenville UFO incident, fictionalized, um, it's called Mark Slade Investigates the Stephenville UFO. You can go to Amazon.com, uh, click on it, find it. And there's a lot of great uh, reviews for the book, So, um, and I've read it personally. So you're going to really enjoy this. And then once you finish the book, of course, of the appendices, which give you some uh, factual background um, to support the um, the fictionalized uh, story. So anyway, Ken, thanks for coming on again. Thank you. I always enjoy our conversations. Take care, Alan. All right. Good night, Ken. Good so night. Yeah, that's it for Paranormal Now. Um, I do want to mention before we go off the air that um, – one, I actually feel a little bit better than I did at the beginning of the show. Um, my wife, the love of my life, had mentioned that I should probably cleanse after spending so much time uh, speaking about Alex Jones. And I already do feel better speaking to Ken um, after that segment. But yeah, so why not do a little meditation tonight and, um, and you know get myself a little more grounded and centered again. Um, and to all of you out there, thank you so much for supporting this program. And I'd love to see you on Facebook. On Instagram, Instagram is at Paranormal Now, and that's it. So in the meantime, live in the mystery, and we'll see you next week for my next guest, Mike McCaskill, to talk about ghost hauntings and paranormal investigations.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.